Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the next and very likely the last episode of Crosscut Maker Podcast. If you have been listening to me over the past uh, several years, I've been doing the podcast for probably four or five years, and I did more lessons and topical theology the first couple years, and then over the past three years or so, I've made the podcast pretty much exclusively like a prophecy update kind of thing where I would look at the things currently going on and I would uh, see how they would apply to what I believe that God is setting the stage for the end of the age, setting the stage for the tribulation period. But over the last, I don't know, year or so, I've kind of felt more and more led to do this online um, than through a podcast, so I've kind of been doing less and less of them, where it was usually every couple weeks, and it was every month, and I think the last one I did was end of the year, so it's been four months, three months, four months since I did my last podcast. But anyway, if you want to follow what I'm seeing, you can, the best way to do that is I have uh, a website, eoa-ind.com. That's where I summarize and have summarized for several years now what I see, things lining up for the tribulation period. Um, and also on social media, Crosscut Maker, it's the same name as the podcast. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I do a lot of interacting on Reddit, but the posts I do are mainly on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So if you're on any of those platforms, I usually post twice a week, usually Monday and Thursday on end of the age stuff, and then the rest of the week it's just uh, general Christian posts and uh, quotes and things like that. So if you're interested in this and you want to keep following this, um, that's where I would point you. So I'm just going to kind of do this last podcast. I'm not saying for sure, 100% for sure, this is going to be my last podcast, but I have no intentions of doing another one after this, unless the Lord would change and move my heart. But I wanted to kind of make a final, conclusive one, just kind of summarizing, you know, everything that I see and my view of end times and reacting to, you know, a lot of people... A lot of people, not even Christians, are recognizing that the world has, is heading true direction, is moving in the wrong direction. And they, a lot of people see cataclysm coming with the war in Ukraine and the threats of nuclear war with just so much, so much turmoil going on, weather events, earthquakes. Uh, we've had a massive one since the last time I did a podcast, obviously, in Turkey. And we've had multiple, just people see that, the, that things are getting bad people's hope in this world or even secular people recognize something is going on. Now of course if, if Christian perspective people who have premillennial eschatology pretty much are all noticing what's going on here because you, you the Bible gives us a lot of information about the end and and so you can see you can't again you have to be careful because you, you nobody knows a day or the hour that things will begin. Again, if, you, if you've been listening to me at all, I am what would be referred to as a pre-tribulation rapture guy. I do believe the scripture teaches the rapture, for sure. The, the, the event of believers at some point in time being caught up into the air, transformed, and caught up into the air, and dead in Christ rising, that's taught clearly in scripture. You get that most clearly in First Thessalonians 4, 
16 through 18 and 1 Corinthians 15, 52. There are, uh, those are the two main places, and there are other places, but those are clear teachings that there will be an event at the end of the age where Christians who are alive, they will not all die. And so they're actually translated into their glorified bodies and then caught up into the air to be with Christ. And, and so, really, if you read Scripture literally, and you should, you shouldn't deny that event. Now, the timing of it is where the argument usually comes in. And there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Now, again, this is referring to, when you say trib, you're referring to the tribulation, which is a seven-year time of distress that precedes the return of Christ. And so, when we talk about the tribulation period, that's what that's referring to. It's a very time-specific uh phase that precedes his return it's seven years and it begins with a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel we'll get into that here in a little bit but the, with the rapture people either believe it happens before that seven-year period or in the middle of it at the midpoint or at the end of it when Christ returns actually all the way to the earth now I am pre-trib pretty pretty convinced of it probably 95 to 96 percent convinced I do think there are some biblical arguments for the mid and post trip but I'm pretty convinced um, that it is a pre-tribulation event and so according to what I believe and most pre-millennials who believe in a tribulation I think land on the pre-trib rapture position I believe that the next event the next cataclysmic event that God directly gets involved in not through pride he's involved in everything through providence where it will be the removal the rapture of the church and one of the big reasons I believe that the, the rapture would be pre-tribulational is because it, it actually creates the environment. It will create an environment that will actually kind of rush everything to the seven-year tribulation period. Right now what we see, and so my point being right now, is you can't, nobody knows that day. Nobody. Anybody tells you the day that the rapture is going to happen, I honestly wouldn't listen to much else what they have to say, even though they might have some other theology that's right. If they're, that's clear, and it's disobedient to set a date. And if you set a date, you just... You you just really uh, end up looking like a fool, making Christ look like a fool, and you just it's just bad. And so I, if somebody tells me they know a day, I don't even listen to anything else that they have to say, even if they might have some points. But uh, so no, so nobody you know don't I never have claimed a date, never will claim a date. Don't know when that's happening, and I don't even think the what the rapture is also what we call signless it's imminent it's 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 been imminent since christ ascended into heaven back two thousand years ago that's why the thessalonian church thought they had been left behind and they were in the day of the lord because they were anticipating the rapture everybody has been anticipating the rapture from from for two thousand years now ever since that doctrine was established the mystery was revealed in scripture and so it's always been signless and imminent. That is to say, there's nothing that has to happen or has ever had to happen in order for that to happen. Now what is interesting, but the reason that a lot of people who study Scripture can are anticipating that the Lord, that event is very near. And I do believe it is very near. Again, I, I hesitate to even put time frames on something. But, you know, just being honest... Seems I've thought this for several years that uh, it just seems like everything is building. But the reason I think you can recognize that it's near, never a day. I would never name a day. I'd never name a month. I'd never name a year because that's I think it's sin. But I think you can say this is the season of the Lord's return. I believe that's a biblical concept, and and it's okay to do that. And and how do you do that? Well, what you do is you see 
what happens after the rapture is is something that is not signless. Okay, now theoretically, could God rapture the church and there'd be a hundred-year gap between, or a hundred-year gap between the rapture and the tribulation beginning, and then there would absolutely be no way to see anything that was pre, you know, building up to the tribulation? Yes, of course. But it doesn't appear that's the way God has decided to do it, and most people who believe in a pre-trib rapture believe it, it means it happens pretty close to the tribulation. Right there, you know, could be it could be a couple months before the, the seven-year peace agreement, or it could be a couple years. I think it's really the max I would allow for, can't be dogmatic about it, but that'd be the max I would allow for a time between the rapture and the tribulation beginning. And so, and I'm almost really convinced of that now because the reason I believe the rapture is near and I believe that the tribulation is near is because you can see God setting things up for the tribulation. The tribulation does not happen in a vacuum. And the, the, the rapture, boom, it can happen just like that. There's nothing that has to happen or build up to it. But the tribulation, it's not the, the events that happen there, there has to be a build up to it. And that's what I've been saying for many years, really. Uh, probably... Uh, been studying this somewhat since 2010 so I've always kind of been aware that I think we're getting close but really obviously with COVID that really kind of accelerated everything and this one that really got my attention and I, before COVID maybe about a year before COVID I was doing uh, you know just kind of trying to warn things hey this is what I'm saying I think we're getting close but then that kind of accelerated and then I think the birth pains just kind of the pre-tribulation birth pains just been kind of accelerating and everybody's noticing now. It's not just, you know, people who study eschatology and notice that Israel's a nation again and, you know, on and on and on. 1948 is when premillennial eschatological, you know, people who study eschatology, they would, they immediately began to get really excited because that was the main, really, the, the key. And that is, if you look on my website, that's number one indicator that we're getting close is Israel's a nation and they're an established nation. That had to happen in order for the tribulation to begin, because the tribulation is a, is about the purging of Israel. So you had to have national Israel back, and obviously they are, have been since 1948. And so that's the wonder, number one indicator of that, of or number one thing that you had to have happen in order for the tribulation events to occur. And so, well, I'll just broadly summarize some of these things, uh, and then it kind of really gets you to focus on a few main things that I think. If you just kind of uh, uh, structure everything around a few thoughts, it'll help you not only to understand eschatology better, but also to help you to ward off, you know, all of the. There's a lot of hyper speculation about every single little thing that happens is some kind of end of the age thing, and you got to be careful on that end as well. Where you just everything happens, you're like, oh, there's the sign, there's a prophecy fulfilled, and you, you can go way overboard on that, and I see that quite often. And so I'm going to try and give a structure, just you know, leave key events. And again, you'll find a lot of this on my website. I'm just going to speak in broad terms about it right now. But mainly, you know, we, we talk about uh, the 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 primary indicators that God is setting the stage for the tribulation event. And again, it starts with the nation of Israel being back in their land. Not only back in their land, they've been there for 75 years, coming up in May, and so we've had an established Israel's an established nation now. And uh, that's, so that's the number one indication. And number two is that they're seeking a peace agreement. They're seeking, there's been, 
a, you know, there's been different peace agreements over the years since they've been back in the land, significant ones, and of course the most recent ones were a couple years ago with the Abraham Accords. But there's still this broad, everybody's wanting this broad Middle East peace agreement. And, there, and people, every president, every uh, leader of Western countries have been seeking to try and bring peace to the Middle East ever since Israel's been a nation. And everything has failed. But Israel is still obviously seeking peace because they're surrounded by their, their enemies, they're surrounded by the Arab nations who many of them have stated purposes that they would like to see them wiped completely out. And that's, that's, so obviously they, they seek peace and protection. And so that's been an ongoing thing, but I think it's been increased more recently. And the Palestinian issue is a significant part of that. The Iranian issue, you know, them building a nuclear, attempting to build a nuclear weapon to use against Israel has been a significant thing that people have been trying to resolve. And you have the Abraham Accords, so you have all these things intertwining, but you still don't have this broad Middle East peace agreement where it seems to have solved the issue in a broad sense. And there's a desire there for many nations in the Middle East to seek that. It's coming from different angles. I said the Abraham Accords is one. JCPOA with Iran, but the main issue, really, I think that everybody's trying to think. They think that if they get this resolved, the Palestinian issue, it'll just make everything nice over there. And so you have this desire. And I'm not obviously saying that any of those peace agreements will really create any peace, because the peace agreement that triggers tri triggers the tribulation is going to be a false peace anyway. But there's a whole point. Is that here's one of those key points I want you to hold on to when you think about eschatology. Especially if you're a lost person and you're just kind of curious about, you don't believe in Christ and you're, and you're just kind of curious about end time stuff, is there's a very clear, and this answers a lot of questions for Christians too, is a lot of people ask, are we in the tribulation? Because they see all this stuff going on and they hear different things from YouTube and all this other stuff. And so here's a very key thing to remember the tribulation begins with a seven year, very public, global peace agreements. And I think it'll be a Middle Eastern focus, as I just said, but it'll be global in its, its reach. It'll be a broad peace agreement. It'll involve Israel, and it'll be seven years. There it is. I mean, when you see that, if you see that, hopefully you're a believer and you'll be gone. But if you're not, and you'll see, and you, then that's the beginning of the tribulation. So there are, there are significant events, and that's the first one, because that triggers that initiates that begins the tribulation that bring that begins essentially probably not exactly a seven-year countdown to the return of Christ and so one of those reasons I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is because I think if it's mid-trib you can kind of call the date once you see that seven-year peace agreement you can kind of start doing math and going three and a half years in or seven years in you're gonna have the rapture that's a side point but so the 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 desire for peace for Israel in a broad way, in a global way, and all these nations being involved, and the United Nations being involved, the United States being involved, you just have this real strong push for this real broad Middle East peace agreement. And so that, again, that, that will happen, that will happen someday, and that will trigger the tribulation. But that's something that you can see building up to. It's not going to just happen overnight. Somebody's not going to wake up and, and Israel's not even interested in peace and somebody's going to have a seven-year peace agreement that's very public and very global. No, you have to have a build-up to it. And you see all of the distress around them now. And so that's all building to this point where 
the Antichrist will be able to be identified. He'll be the one who makes the set who is highly involved. He may not be the only one involved, but he'll be the the key one involved in bringing about this seven-year peace agreement. And so there's there's indicator number two. First, you have Israel as a nation. Second, you have them desiring strongly for peace in the region because they are highly outnumbered and they are in a, you know on a human level dire straits. Of course. God is going to protect them eventually. So that's number two. And again, mm-hmm. that's just one of those things. You break the tribulation down into this. It's a seven-year time period. It begins with a peace agreement involving Israel, a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. And then you have the midpoint is the uh, what we call the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist who makes that deal turns on Israel at the midpoint. And so you can structure the tribulation in, in a seven-year time period that begins with a peace agreement, seven-year peace agreement, Ends with the return of Christ, and then halfway through it, the Antichrist will turn on Israel, and then that will trigger what we call the Great Tribulation. But I'm not going to go into a whole lot of um, details about the, the Tribulation. You can find a lot of that on uh, my, my primary website, is crosscutcom.com, and there's I have essays and lessons there, and one of them, one of the lessons is called What's to Come, The Rapture and Its Aftermath, and that kind of goes through a pretty detailed information of what's to come what is from this point forward prophetically what can we expect but again that seven-year peace agreement that's that's the big deal we're not in the tribulation because that, that seven-year peace agreement hasn't happened and if you are around and you don't believe in Christ now then if you see that happen you just remember you heard it that, that you've entered into the tribulation period in the book of Revelation specifically beginning in chapter 6 through chapters 18, 6 through 18, those will begin to unfold themselves. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls will be rolled out consecutively during that seven-year time period. So that's number two, is, is Israel is desiring peace. And if you just turn on the news, they, not only do they have external distress, all kinds of threats from the outside. They're, they are having almost, they almost had a civil war last week because of this uh, judicial reform that that the Netanyahu government has been pushing and I'm not even going to try to, to I'm not even going to bring up what I think about that. It's neither here nor there when it comes to prophecy. But they almost had a civil war where he had to call, but he had to pull that back and take that off the table for a while because they shut down, I guess, the airports and the businesses. Everybody went on strike. And it just got really bad to the point where he was forced to withdraw, at least bring in, bring in the other part, the opposition to try and come to a a, a, a to come together on that. But again, the point here is that they they have all kinds of issues. They have external, internal, you name it. They have issues, and they they are very very vulnerable at this point. All right, and point number three is the globalism. Okay, the reason people who study eschatology is who who look for a trajectory towards globalism because the Antichrist clearly stated in Revelation chapter 13 that he will, for a season, I don't think he probably gets complete control of the entire world to the midpoint, but he will eventually get complete control of the whole world. And so you have to have a global structure in order for that to happen. And so you, we've seen this... this push for globalism is not really brand new it's more you know it's been you know I would say a couple centuries old where 
just kind of uh, the, there was been ideas of it, but you know, I'd say 50, you know, 20 years ago, if somebody said something like the New World Order or anything like that, people would just say you're out of your mind, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist, and and maybe you were at that point, but at this point, they're just flat out stating that that's their goal is they want global unified government. They don't want national governments anymore. They think the solution to these global problems are is global governance, and so there's no not even a uh, if, if it ever was a secret. It's not anymore. It's what they want, and most people actually probably agree with that, even though I don't, because I think biblically, God has established nations because they are checks against evil. You can't have concentrated evil without checks, or you'll be in trouble, and that's what will happen when he eventually gets control of everything. So you have this very clear public push for globalism, and technology essentially has already made globalism a reality. Um, you know what? You can know what's going on pretty much the next minute on anything on the planet on your smartphone and so you really have a global environment but we don't have what we have we don't have that global governance yet and the, you know the way it structures itself it seems in the Bible is that there will be a ten, ten uh, nation or ten king or ten, ten world uh, rulers who who establish this global governance global governance and the Antichrist eventually takes control of the whole thing. He eliminates three, takes control of the whole thing. And so that's how that structures out. There's some kind of, the number ten there is repeated a few times in scripture about ten leaders that establish this global structure and then he eventually takes sole control of all of it. But it takes time for him to do that, I believe. Um, so, but you do, you obviously have a very clear push for global governments and COVID-19 really accelerated that because they thought this is a problem throughout there's no borders to this problem so we need a global structure in order to handle this climate change is another thing that they use to claim that we all need to come together because if we don't you know do certain things the environment's gonna destroy it and if one nation does it and the other nation doesn't then does not then you'll have just you know nothing I don't saying I believe in climate change at all because if you ever followed me or listened to my podcast you know that I don't believe climate change is even a real thing because um, God is sovereign over the climate alright but anyway so we do have a push for globalism and then we have a push for a unified world religion it's primarily being done, being done by Pope Francis he's kind of trying to bring all the, the three Abrahamic faiths together they just opened that house of Abraham in Abu Dhabi and you just have a real broad ecumenical push, and you've had this for years, but it really seems to be coming together, and the reason that is noticeable is because there will be a one world, one unified religion for the first half of the tribulation. So pretty much every, even a so-called brand of Christianity will be involved in that. Like I said, some people would uh, identify Catholicism as Christian, I do not. Um, there's many forms of Christianity that I would not say is biblical Christianity, but there will be a mishmash of all these things coming, and I think that'll include Judaism as well, and it'll it'll come into play during that first three and a half years, and then at the midpoint, the Antichrist not only turns on Israel, he claims himself to be God, and he wipes out the one unified religion, and everybody must worship him at that point. But you see a push for this one unified religion. And so that's point number four, or, or indicator number four. 
Um, number five is the um, the Ezekiel 38-39 coalition being formed. Um, it, in Ezekiel chapter 38-39, it very clearly is an, is, an, is an end times invasion of Israel. Now, it's one of the more difficult things to time out to, to what I mean time out to place in its place in the timing of the end time events. Um, after studying it through, I came to the conclusion, and I'm by certainly, I'm by no means dogmatic about this, I came to the conclusion that the invasion is initiated at the at the end of the first half of the tribulation. So again, the seven year, you have seven year tribulation, at the midpoint is three and a half years where it turns into the great tribulation. I think right before that is when this invasion occurs. So it's not at the midpoint, but it is right before it, that's my opinion. And then it ends by God's direct intervention. He's the one who destroys these nations. It's somehow the end is prolonged for three and a half years and it ends up actually rolling into Armageddon. It's part of the Armageddon environment where Christ returns and destroys. But the point is now is that there are there's those are there's very clear uh, the major three of that coalition that invade Israel is Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And there are other countries that come with them from the south, from many, it's like a, just all of the, comes from every direction. But the three main players are Russia, Turkey, and Iran. And of course, Turkey right now is kind of an interesting thing. They, you know, at one minute, it seems like they're completely opposed to Israel and they're saying, you know, basically very dangerous things about them. And the next minute, they're making some kind of deal with them financially. So they're always, seems like Turkey's just sitting on the fence. And then they're friends with Russia and they're friends with Iran. They're, they're just waiting for the best opportunity, whatever they say. Like, But eventually, they we know from Scripture that they go with Russia and Turkey. I mean, they go with Russia and Iran in the, in the invasion into Israel. And it's a broad invasion. And of course, Russia, with the Ukraine war, that really has turned Russia against Israel because Israel sided with the West, sided with the United States, sided with Europe. And so that has made the, the tension. They always, Russia and Israel had a reasonable relationship up until the uh, Ukraine war because um, Netanyahu got along with Putin reasonably well and they kind of needed Russia because they were in Syria and there was this kind of agreement where they could take care of the Iranian influence in Syria, but they would kind of let Russia know so they wouldn't be impacted by it. So there's just been this back and forth. But recently, like I said, with how Israel has responded to the Ukraine-Russia war, they have pretty much uh, set themselves at odds with Russia. And uh, in Iran, it's obviously uh, they would destroy Israel tomorrow if they could. They're trying to build a nuclear weapon so that they can. They're constantly have, they, they have these uh, uh, terrorist organizations pretty much surrounding Israel. They have Hezbollah to the north. They have Hamas. They have the Houthis in Yemen. They have all, and these are all proxies basically of Iran. And they all are going in one direction, trying to wipe out Israel. So that's, and they will be part of that invasion. And so you see this coalition forming, and, the, and especially Iran and Russia right now have very, very, gotten very, very close. The, Iran has been giving them drones to use in Ukraine, and Russia has made all kinds of promise they were going to send them jets now, and there's just been very, very tightening of that coalition. And so again, Turkey will eventually come with them as well, and, uh, and they're already involved in different commitments to them. But, so you see this coalition forming.
and that's that's a major indicator. Uh, some people believe that's a pre-tribulation invasion, and they may be right, but e e either way, it's not going to just happen overnight either. That has to be a build-up to it. You have to see that coalition form, and I think you're seeing that form. So that's number five, the Ezekiel 38-39 coalition being formed. Number six is technology, the necessary technology. Now, people, a lot of people, uh, you know, when it comes to eschatology, understand. First off, this is mainly focused on the mark of the beast. That that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, that three and a half, three and a half year point, where Antichrist claims to be God, takes over, and then you have to take the mark or you die. It's either you, and it means a couple things about the mark is the mark of the beast can't have, nobody has ever taken the mark yet and nor can anybody ever take the mark until the midpoint of the tribulation period. So you have to be three and a half years beyond this very public seven year peace agreement involving Israel in order for you to be able to take the mark. So a lot of people freak out I guess because they think they've taken the mark, they were told the vaccine was the mark, they were told this is the mark and they're told this is the mark. You can't, it's impossible to take the mark of the beast until you have a beast. Because you, in order to take the mark, you have to identify with the beast. They have to, it's, it's an allegiance. It's a swearing of worship, basically, to this man. Claiming he's God. He's your God. And you can't have that possibility until you have a, a beast. Even if somebody came along and said they were the beast, if they're not actually the beast, you can't. You still couldn't take the mark. Again, this is why I'm always going to think it's important to understand these bigger points, is that you have a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel that begins in tribulation. Can't you can't take the mark until that's happened, and you can't even take it then because you don't take the mark until the halfway point. So you're three and a half years beyond this seven-year peace agreement before you can take the mark. And when the mark comes out, you'll know it's the mark. It won't be a mystery. You won't go, "Oops, did I take the mark or not?" You you will you will be abs you have to be absolutely certain that you're taking it in order to take it. So people out there who get worried that they have somehow accidentally taken the mark of the beast, that's an impossibility. You can't even take it now. And you never will be able to take it accidentally. Never. That will not be possible. You have to knowingly do it. All right. But anyway, the, the point of the technology is that in order to enforce that, and the reason that uh, complete control of the economy is necessary is because you can't buy, the scripture teaches you cannot buy or sell. It says you can't buy or sell in Revelation 13 unless, unless you have the mark of the beast. And so... In order for that to occur, I just heard noise. Sorry about that. I don't know what happens unless I fell or if I'm under. In order for somebody to, to be able to control whether you can buy or sell, you have to have a public. You have to have the ability to control all transactions. And there's this is where people have been noticing with the ongoing. You know, people always thought when it comes to eschatology, there will come a point when cash. Will no longer be in play, and will it be all debit card? Will it be all this? Well, things have radically changed in the in the past really year. Is really been this is when the, this has been accelerating is the digital currencies, and I'm convinced. Again, I'm not. I don't know for sure. Time will tell how this develops. But one real indicator that I think has accelerated since really in the past year. You know, I don't know if it's if it was from COVID, or I don't know if it was from uh, you know, these banking, banking, we've had banking crises and we've just got a lot of inflation issues and everything else where people are basically assuming that, you know, things could crash pretty soon and that you need to have some kind of backup. 
And so you've had like a new structure, a new system. It'd be like, like a big reset of the economy, basically, is what people are anticipating. And I don't know how, if that's going to work that way or not, if that's how the control takes over. Now, you know, some people thought it was going to be some kind of a, uh, some through the vaccine, and there would be an app that tracks and controls, and you know, everybody got excited about that. Okay, well, that's pretty much gone now. People aren't even taking the vaccine. People aren't even tracking. There's no tracking going on with COVID anymore. COVID's pretty much not even an issue anymore. But one thing that has caught my attention that I really do believe in, I'm not saying that it will be the infrastructure that, that enforces the mark of the beast, but I think it's very likely, in my opinion, and that is what are called CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currencies. And so this is digital money, which we've had digital money for a while now, but it's mostly been things like Bitcoin and other things that are private-oriented. Uh, they're private currencies. They're private businesses. You haven't had a government backing a digital currency until now and now China was kind of the first to get this program running and just pretty much all the major nations now are coming along here and including the United States and in fact I just heard the other day that July they're going they did a test run for a couple of months from I think it was December through February or maybe it was November through February there was a little short run there with certain just areas where they tried out they tested the CBDCs and now this to be begin to be actually implemented in July of 23, and so, and not, like I said, not just the United States, many other nations are instituting this in the World Economic Forum. They've also begun to notice this, and they've advised that we need to have one controlling CBDC that oversees them all. And it just seems like you're going to have to have the government back it because the Antichrist will have control of the government. He'll have control of the military. Military is by that point, and so you, you have to have the government in control of this, con being able to control the transactions. It can't be a private thing. And so CBDC seems to be exactly what you would order if you're looking for something that would be able to enforce the market based. Time will tell, but this accelerating. Yeah, CBDC CBDCs are coming this year. How fast they become, where they overtake everything else, and, and cash will actually be eliminated. Anything else will be eliminated. It will just be all through this. That could happen pretty quick. It depends on how the economy reacts. You know, uh, it could happen just gradually, naturally. You know, that's they just see this as a better way to do it, and it just does its natural progress. Or you could have an economic crisis that would cause it to happen very suddenly. I don't know how that'll happen, but it'll happen, and it's going to happen soon. And so that's another thing that you see. Just if anybody who who you know who talks about the market the beast and they see the CBDCs, you just it's almost impossible to say, boy, that looks that looks like if you just had to think about it and create it in your mind, what it would look like. Well, there it is, and it's actually happening in real world in our time right now. It's again just more indication that I believe the tribulation period is coming up soon. It's just a matter of how all this wraps together. And then finally, the seventh. Thing, I've, I've the seventh major indicator, and there are others, but the seven major ones I talk about, and the last one is the temple, the third temple, the, and that's the primary indicator I think of the tribulation period. Is you, first you know you have to have Israel, and you have to have them controlling Jerusalem and whatnot, but but there will be a third temple during the tribulation. You know this from many texts. Um, also, you know this with the Antichrist when he claims to be God at the midpoint of the tribulation period. He he sits. He stops the animal sacrifices that are going on, which means that they're going on. It means you got a temple back in play, 
and he sits in it and claims himself to be God. So, uh, you have to have, there will be a third temple. Now all you gotta do is do a little research and search out the Temple Institute and other places. There are, there are serious people in Israel and they have been there, been doing this for decades now of seriously pursuing the third temple. It seemed like laughable five years ago because there was just too much opposition to it. But there's been a lot of movement towards the third temple. A lot of it, I think, the couple things that I think have uh, really helped things go along with that issue, and a couple of those are, one of them is archaeology. There has been a lot of archaeological finds over the past decade, including last year, significant ones that uh, they prove the biblical testimony that what happened, the history of the Bible is true, and it's been shown over and over and over by them finding different things, but what a side effect of that has been to really uh, embolden the Jews to know that, hey, they're convinced this is their land. It really is their land, and they ought to be able to to do what they want in their land and a big part of their religion. You know, I'm not certainly not endorsing the third temple because I think it'll be a sinful temple. It'll be done, done, um, it'll be done in unbelief of their Messiah Christ, and so it'll be a sinful temple, and it'll be for the wrong reasons, and it'll, again, it'll be, end up being the Antichrist temple. But they will build a temple, though. And I think part of what's going on there is they recognize through the archaeology and these other things that they that this is actually their land, and they read their Old Testament, and they realize this is promised to them, and they see it as they ought to have a temple, because they reject Christ as the finished substitutionary atonement for sins, that they want to have their temple built again. And so they're just really emboldened to do this. Now, again, how that works itself out politically, I don't know. My thought has always been that it will actually be part of that seven-year uh, peace agreement. That'll, that'll be a very uh, enticing piece of the puzzle to Israel to get them to sign, and they'll have to give up other things, probably their military, or their ability to, they'll have to trust the Antichrist and his army and his military to defend them. So there's probably going to be a lot of give and take, but I think one of the things that they'll gain is they'll get their third temple. He'll, he'll give them permission to build the third temple. Will it be next to the Dome of the Rock? Will, will that be wiped out somehow? Beforehand? I have absolutely no idea if that'll be built next to it. I see it happen in a few ways. There could be something that happens to there, and then it just that's where they end up building it, is where the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque is right now, or I, th I can see them building it right next to it as part of that unified world religion. Like, hey, this is this is everybody's temple. This is the temple for the whole world, and that means all religions. You know, of course, it's done in unbelief, so they'll have that attitude. There's many ways that can happen, but politically speaking, that's the main drawback right now. Is it would cause war? If, I mean, instant war if they just tried to throw it up on their own. So I do believe that the Antichrist will somehow bring that negotiate that into the seven-year peace agreement because the Bible doesn't teach that it that the the temple is built it just it basically you know there's a third temple because at the midpoint the sacrifices are stopped so you have up until that three and a half year point for the animal sacrifices to be going on again and so very likely in my opinion you'll have the peace agreement the seven-year peace agreement that involved the building of the temple the temple will be built in the first half of the tribulation probably within a year and then you'd have approximately two and a half years of animal sacrifices going on before he turned on them, turns on them, shuts their temple down, sits in their Holy of Holies, 
quotation marks with my fingers here, because um, again, I don't believe it's a it's a it's a legitimate temple, and then claims to be God. Everything breaks loose into the Great Tribulation period. So the 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 seventh indicator, and again, if you if you see him start building the temple, he must well just brace for impact because again, I I don't believe that I'll probably go see the first brick grow up until after the tribulation has begun. But that's just a, a theory of mine that could theoretically could the temple be built before the seven year peace agreement and there's just a peace agreement that doesn't involve that and then eventually he shuts it all down at the midpoint possibly. But just based on the environment I see right now, the build up how it's coming together, I see that and I have for quite a while, I see that the third temple permission for it to be built, being part of that global peace agreement that involves Israel, involves the Antichrist involves many nations and that'll be a, just a big enticing piece of the puzzle for Israel uh, Israel to, to sign this agreement again they're going to have to give up a lot of things I'm sure and they'll put them very vulnerable to this man and, and they'll trust him and they'll believe that he's out for their good and of course he'll turn on them at the midpoint so that's the seventh and final um, primary indicator that I list on the website there and uh, usually update that and back that up with just specific things that seen in events have the scripture there to show it um, and so those are the primary indicators now there are other what I would call birth pangs going on and in Jesus talks about them in Matthew 24 Luke 13 uh, or Luke 21 mark 13 where the general you know, of course earthquakes the big one we've had recently was in Turkey really really devastating you know it's probably killed up to I think the last number I saw was 80,000 people 7.8 7.3 in very very populated areas and you know the the studies that I've seen have showed over the past century especially there's just been a real explosion of earthquakes an increase in that and Jesus teaches that there will be an increase in earthquakes there will be an inter increase in deception and good grief. I don't probably shouldn't have to say anything about that. I mean, who you just outside of the Bible, it's hard to know what to believe when it comes to anything. And even when it comes to so called Christianity or Christendom, you got to be very careful. Because I'm telling you, 90% of what is, is presented as Christian is not Christian. Catholicism is not Christian. Jehovah's Witness is not Christian. Mormonism is not Christian. Prosperity gospel preachers like Joel Steen, T.D. Jakes, uh, Joyce Myers, Hillsong, all these are all not churches. That's not Christianity. They preach a different gospel. Their gospel is come to Christ, he'll give you what you want. I mean, it's not biblical Christianity. Biblical salvation is come to Christ humbly for the forgiveness of sins. You believe in who he is and you become, you submit to his lordship. Again, that's the fruit of, uh, of what genuine repentance looks like is you're broken over your sin. You're not coming to him saying, well, okay, I'll come to you, but only if you give me health and wealth. It's not a, it's not a biblical gospel at all. And if that's why you think you're a Christian is because somebody told you that if you come to Jesus, he's going to make your life better. It's not salvation. You have to have a moment of repentance, a genuine, it's not just a moment and it goes away, but I'm saying it starts at a moment where you're just like, oh, man, I'm sinner. I'm in trouble. I'm in, I am in deep trouble because of my sin, and I need a Savior. That's the motivation for conversion. It's the only motivation for conversion. There is no... You don't get converted by wanting a car or wanting 
uh, a healing or wanting uh, whatever your marriage fix if that's your primary motive if that's your motivation for coming to Christ if you're not a Christian you're a false convert okay anyway chase a rabbit there but but it increases in deception Jesus talks about and not just earthquakes but cataclysmic weather events it has been incredible really over the past uh, while with uh, you know wildfires and earthquakes and we've had massive tornadoes I live in an area that is by God's grace is we're not quite in tornado alley but we're close enough to where we could be affected by one of those we've had some big ones around us about 20 years ago and even today and yesterday we've had uh, you know in, I live in southern Indiana and we've, we've had big wedge tornadoes get into Indiana and it just seems like more and more these these things are increasing again they're trying to call it climate change and we need to stop burning gas. I call it God warning people that his judgment is coming and it's just increasing, increasing, and, and there are more warnings that the tribulation is coming. It has nothing to do with how much gas is emitted into the air or CO2 or anything else. It's all nonsense. I'm not going to go there right now. But having said that, it's just more birth pangs. People recognize that seems like every day there's really cataclysmic natural disasters all over the planet and that's not a new thing we've had earthquakes and tornadoes and things for a long long time but what you do with birth pains is you see them increased 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 intensity and that's, that is not intensity and things sorry about that and, and things increase with intensity and frequency that's what the birth pains do that's why they're called birth pains and these are pre-tribulation birth pains we're not in the tribulation as i said seven-year peace agreement starts that but I do believe we are experiencing the pre-tribulation birth things it's just more warning signs of what's coming so you have all these things going on you have you know good uh, grief that's mentioned the, the just incredible anarchy and evil increases in evil and uh, again by God's grace have been protected from being in a situation where I mean, every time I turn on the news, there's another country rioting and basically try, you know, having in a civil war situation where they're trying to overthrow the government. You got that going on in France right now because of Macron. He passed some kind of a, a two-year increase in the retirement age, and there, just it seems like it's a war zone over there, in the streets in Israel. Like I said they almost had a civil war last week. All over Africa, there's there's just incredible chaos. Again, what's going to happen is a man's going to come along and people are going to be convinced that he has the solution for all of it. And there's going to be this seven-year broad agreement that focuses on Israel, Middle East, but it's going to affect the whole world. And everybody's going to think, oh, we found it. Here he is. Hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to fix all our problems. And it actually will work for a little while. I think that, you know, the first part of the tribulation, whether that be the first half or just the first little bit, actually, there's peace. There's a, there's a false peace, but it's a peace. But if you just turn on the news, look around the whole world, it's, it's just incredible, uh, I don't even know what the word is, I just call it chaos and people in uproar over everything. Just non-stop rioting, non-stop distress everywhere. And again, that's just more and more indications that we're heading towards the tribulation period. And sadly, I can say that this is only a warm-up. What happens, the tribulation is the bad stuff. And we get, we get, as far as I can read and understand, we get really supernatural 
direct judgments from God. We get literally comets and asteroids impacting our environment. So it's just just the beginning of things. Um, if the timing of things are coming up. So that's my broad summary of this. And I kind of wanted to sit down and have one more final podcast. And, and again, I point you to, I do updates. I still do updates twice a week with what I'm seeing. Just make notes of things or something. Uh, let's see, what was the one I posted last week? Um, just for example, on Monday. I'll just read it. You can go, like I said, it's on Crosscut Makers. It's on Instagram. Basically, the Middle East, oh, this is a quote from a retired brigadier general, Amir Avivi, founder and chairman of IDSC. And what he, here's, I'll read his quote, but here, what he says is basically, in my opinion, uh, describing in reality what, what the tribulation period would look like. And he says, basically, the Middle East needs the U.S. to stand with us, Israel, against the Iranians, and for that the Saudis are saying we are willing to offer a huge peace agreement. Not only with us, we are the leaders of the Sunni world. We are willing to offer a peace agreement with us, Pakistan, Indonesia, Oman. This is a global peace agreement that will bring a huge alliance for the U.S. and bring to the White House a huge peace agreement. So you can can obviously see why I posted that quote is because we're talking about a global peace agreement. That's what triggers the tribulation period. And I do believe, I haven't said this on this podcast, but I firmly believe the United States will be a very key, if not the central key part of the peace system. And I'm, a, I'm a United States citizen, um, and I'm thankful for the country I live in and the freedoms I have and the people who sacrifice for that. I genuinely am, but I recognize, uh, I believe the coalition of the West will be where the beast system, the beast comes from and where the... Uh, Peace system is found is founded, and again, our, our military has to be involved in order to for somebody to take over the world. But anyway, that's another point. There's things on the website. I think on uh, under essays there is has the revived Roman Empire of the tribulation period already been revived, and I answer kind of make my biblical case where I believe the United States is a big part of that, if not all of that, when it comes to the revived Roman Empire. All right, but anyway, when I saw that, when I heard that, I thought, man, he just described uh, the the uh, tribulation agreement. But again, how this works itself out, don't know. But it's but time will tell. But that's just an example of what I post on on Crosscut Maker each week when it comes to updates about that. That's usually on Monday and Thursday, and then, like I said, I do posts and other things. I do uh, promote the gospel on there as well, and so. Um, so I'd point you to there for the future, but I did want to do a final podcast, just kind of wrap all this up. Again, for for believers out there, for true born again believers out there, I, I think we're living in the most privileged time in the history of the world. Even if this weren't the end of the age, we would still live in a time when we are post cross, so we get to know what our Savior did for us instead of looking forward to a Savior doing something for us. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures. Not only do we have the completed canon of scripture, we have broad access to it, incredible access to it. Those are just privileges that we often take for granted. But also, the rea- very, in my opinion, the, the almost 
99.99% reality that we are living in a time when God is specifically and immediately setting the stage for the return of Christ, which is preceded by that seven-year time period. And so that means that we are very likely near the removal of the church. So it should be an encouragement to live as if there is no tomorrow, even though we're supposed to do that anyway, but there actually might not be a tomorrow. There might, you might be with Christ tomorrow. And so why not live today as if he's going to take you today or tomorrow? That's how we ought to live anyway. But it's just an incredible privilege. It's a mind-boggling privilege. And if you're an unbeliever, I'm going to close here in a minute with the gospel, as I always have on this podcast. Is is you know, I have talked about some things, and I will plant some seeds to say, you know what? If you're an unbeliever and you're just interested in eschatology, and you somehow stumbled upon this podcast, then what I would point you to to observe when it comes to that is seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. If you see that, it will it will be something that is on every stage. It'll be it'll be the news of the day, or it'll be the news of the month. And and once you that'll be the you'll be in the tribulation period once that once that seven year peace agreement is, is brought into play. It hasn't happened yet as I'm doing this podcast, so it's not something I can say. Hey, look! But there will come a time when you'll be able to say, all right, somebody will be able to say to you, there we are actually in the tribulation period, and then you will actually can open up the book of Revelation, and you can start to to not exactly because there is there is. It's not, it's not given specifically. The language was given of the future events, and I think language that John, the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, inspired by God, of course, that he can understand, language he can understand. So it's in, it's you know, it's hard to exactly know how those events will work themselves out. But you have a pretty good picture of it. He saw what was going to happen. He was describing it probably in language he understood. Not he did. If there was nuclear weapon involved in what he saw. He couldn't say, oh, look, it's a nuclear weapon, because there's no such thing as a nuclear weapon back then. He was seeing the future. And so, you'll be, anyway, my point is, somebody who knows the scriptures will be able to open them up and say, this is what's coming next. That was the first seal. Here comes, the, this is what the next seal is going to look like. Well, here's what that's going to look like here. It'll be an incredible time. Um, but um, my point is, if you see a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, and you just remember you heard it here, you've entered the tribulation, and you still can be saved. Um, but you can't have the idea of well I'll wait until I see that you don't want to have the idea I'll wait until I see if that happens in order to be saved because that's not how salvation works you can explain that away if God doesn't open your heart you could say yeah I, I remember hearing that podcast and he said exactly what happened here the seven year global peace agreement involving Israel and it just happened right in front of my eyes I'll believe because that's what I said I was going to do that's not how the human heart works the human heart if it's not born again, if it's not given grace by God, you'll just go, yeah, that's what I heard. But you know what? Hey, he got he got lucky. He just who can't guess a seven-year peace agreement involving a major country in the Bible? Come on, and you just go on about your life. So that's how that works. I'm telling you, I know that what the Scripture talks about the human heart. I know my own human heart, and I'm a believer, and that's not how it works. But I will still plant that seed and say, all right, maybe God will use that in order to make some people alive. That if they hear, you know what, somebody said seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, and we have it now, and so maybe God would use that seed being planted in order to save people. Um, but again, so that and and if you somehow, you know, 
you make it in there and you still don't believe, well then a man claims to be God. There's a if you see a temple being built, these are all things that are written in the Bible. And so that would be uh, just some seeds I plant. But again, I'm I'm going to close this podcast like I have closed every one of my podcasts. And again, I you know I thank you anybody who's ever listened to any of my podcasts over time. Um, you know I can track my data, and I know it's not some kind of big massive thing that a lot of people know about but believe it or not the Lord I believe the Lord has given me wisdom on to understand these things and I but I think for everybody who does who has listened to it and again I'm not saying never I'm not saying that I'll never make another podcast again but I anticipate not making one um, I just feel like the Lord's leading me and just to kind of do this online and that's what I'm been more content to do but I just didn't want to kind of leave that last podcast I think it was the end of December just hanging out there as if Okay, is he going to do another one or not? And so I'm, this is my intended final one, Lord willing. And I would point you to those resources again one final time. EOA-IND.com. Crosscut Maker um, on social media, pretty much Twitter. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Forgot about that. I'm on Pinterest. I just post there. I don't have any interaction there. And I don't, honestly, I don't interact really on um, Instagram or Facebook. I just post. I don't even have my notifications on. Um, I do. Sometimes if somebody will respond to me on Twitter, I'll interact with there. But if you ever did want to respond, interact with me, I do more of that on Reddit. Where I, and it's not really eschatology. It is some. Obviously, a lot of people are asking about that. But that's I'll, I'll read. Usually, if somebody asks me a question or something on, on uh, Reddit, um, then I would respond to them. All right, well, I will close this final podcast, and I thank God for everything that he's ever done in my life, for saving me, for using me in any way, because uh, I've probably shared my testimony over time throughout some podcasts. I was saved in 2000, uh, 2006, and I was very devout for about three or four years, maybe five years, and then I went to a pretty bad backslide, and uh, I was still saved. You can't lose your salvation, and I really rebelled, and got into a dark place as a Christian and God had mercy on me again and so the fact that he saved me first off at all and then he uh, mercifully brought me out of my backslide and, and uses me in any form or fashion I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm, I, have, I am unworthy of that but uh, I'm thankful for everything that he does but I will close this with the gospel and again if you crosscutmaker eoa-id.com for any future any kind of and crosscutcom.com I didn't mention that um, that's, that's, that's and that'll kind of link you to all the other stuff too that's where I do a lot of my essays um, one page essays lessons and the, the tracks are on there and there's other stuff on there that uh, broadly speaking so if you're interested in, in the, topical theology that's where I have my primary website crosscutcom.com c-r-o-s um crosscut.com and I got one more website gospel30.com that's where it's just a 30 second uh, biblical presentation of the gospel which I'm about to give that um, is I'll send that link to a lot of people I do advertisements and try and just put the basic simple gospel in front of as many people as I can and that's what I'm going to close this final podcast out with since, there, since the time may be near to the return of God incarnate Jesus Christ, here's a true biblical gospel presentation in 30 seconds. 
One day we will all face the one true and living holy God. You need to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to him before that occurs. In God's great love, he has mercifully made a way. That only happens biblically by, one, repentance. Confessing your sinfulness and hopelessness from your heart to God. Repentance is not behavior change. It's not obedience to the law. Repentance is a confession that you haven't, that you've broken God's law, and that you're in trouble. It's the whole Luke uh, 18, 13, where, where he says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's that's the, the you got to have that broken heart. In order to seek salvation, to seek forgiveness, to seek a Savior, you have to know you need it. And that's that broken heart over sin. That's what repentance is. It's just, and it's not just, yeah, I'm a sinner. But you know what? I'm not that bad a sinner. It means that you recognize you're hopeless. You're in trouble. It's the uh-oh moment. And two, faith. Believing the gospel. The gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person, he's truly man and the one true God. And the work, and you trust only in his redemptive work. His work is his sinless life, death on a cross for the sins of sinners, and resurrection for your salvation. So you trust in his work, not in your work. Nothing you've done, nothing you'll ever do. Not your bap- not baptism, not keeping the Ten Commandments, nothing. It means you trust in what who Christ is and what he's done completely, totally. That's how grace works. You don't get a little bit of your own works and then you take 90% of Christ. That's not how it works. That's why Catholicism is a false religion because they teach that. It's like, yeah, you got to believe, but you got to do your part too. No, that's not. Biblical salvation is I got nothing. The only thing I bring to my salvation is sin, and that made it necessary. And Christ is the one you trust. If you genuinely do this, you will be instantly and permanently covered by the righteousness of Christ. We call that the imputation of Christ. His righteousness is credited, is given to you. It's put to your account. That's why uh, salvation is, that's why you can't blend your own works, because you have to have perfect works. And his alone are perfect. And he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sins while on the cross. If you refuse the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be judged according to your works. And unless you have lived without even one sin like Christ, will end in eternal conscious condemnation. So this is the issue. Salvation is pretty simple. It's not easy to be saved because the you've got to have God's grace to do it because that, that sin nature fights against this. It wants it wants to be saved by your own works. It pride is almost it's impossible outside of God to overcome that desire to be right with God based on your terms and based on what you've done. But salvation is that the message of the cross can be read in thirty seconds, and it's about receiving who Christ is and what He's done on your behalf. And you and you have to know you need to know you to truly receive it. Here's the issue. And if you don't, you will eventually be judged according to what you've done with your life. You'll get that request granted to you at the white throne and I promise you, you'll you'll spend eternity regretting that decision. So, today is the day of salvation, the Bible teaches. So may today be your day. And again, I just want to wrap up this final podcast by saying thank you to anybody who has been consistently listening or maybe somebody who listened to the first time on this one. And again, I've pointed you to all those resources. And may Christ be known, and I will see you someday soon, hopefully. Praise God.